Hey, it's Alexis Haynes, and this is my podcast, Recovering from Reality. The vibe of my house is very, like, minimalist, but, like, chic. 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 Earthy Earthy, chic. uh Earthy chic. I've got my, like, you know, gazillion pound rose quartz over there in the corner. Oh, my God. That's amazing. She brings me to life every day. That's giant. Yes. Do you bathe her in the sun and cleanse her? No, you know, <gasps> you try better. to lift that bitch. Try to, li- <laughs> try to lift that bitch. That bitch well, mama, is that's like when we hun- call in the boys. That bitch is like 500 pounds. I mean, <laughs> I don't even think my husband could do it. Yeah, so I overlined the fuck out of my mouth today because I have the biggest bruises. I went and got lip injections the other day. Keeping those bruises. lips looking luscious. She bruise- bruises so bad, it is honestly like and it's like you can't cover it unless you do a red lip like there's nothing that you can do and so i've been going to my kids like ballet classes and all this shit looking beat the fuck up (laughs) and i'm like whatever whatever." have you ever used jeffree star no that's the lip product you need to use i'm about to change your life really it's a liquid to matte and it literally doesn't come off oh okay so as a drag queen i I love it it. because i can have black lips on for a performance Uh and then i can take a red and put red okay. over black. Okay. It's so pigmented. See, when, um, when they were fighting Kat Von D and Jeffrey, I want total Kat Von D because she's okay. sober. I love sure. her. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I want like the Kat Von D route and that's what eyeliner I'm wearing today. That's the um, eyeliner I wear too. Okay. So yes. then you can mix it up. It's like, I like to mix cares? it up, You don't course. have to pick sides. Whatever. Right. Yeah. You can pick whatever you want. Just pick the best makeup. That's all. Oh my God. <laughs> so I have so many questions for all of you guys that have been listening <laughs> i didn't even introduce you yet um okay so we're sitting down with laganja estranja that was my best rupaul um impersonation that you'll get from me it's it pretty good not the greatest we'll work on it whatever. we'll work on it whatever um can anybody be that much of a queen i don't know like i'm not i i can't live up to rupaul standards at all none of us can no, my love <laughs> none of us can so Laganja Estranja was on season six of RuPaul's Drag Race. I have to say I didn't watch that season. I stopped watching after like season four. I don't know why. Yeah. Honestly, I just, maybe I stopped watching so much reality TV after I got out of reality TV. Um, But I think, uh, so I'm only like four episodes in, so you're still on the show. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I can't Has it been dramatic? I I think I cry episode two, so yeah. Drag queens are dramatic, just like, I feel like you guys (laughs) bring, you you bring the drama. Come on. You bring, I mean, everybody's really fiery. It's, it's a good season so far. So. It's definitely the best season in Drag Race history. Yeah. Just saying. There you go. I'll take it. I'm putting it out there. I I will agree. I will agree for the sake of agreeing. Actually, I don't. (laughs) I don't have much of a frame of reference, but, um, so you were on RuPaul's Drag Race and, um, you were just on Dancing with the Stars. So you think you can dance. So you think you can dance. That's what I meant. That's okay. Everyone, everyone makes that mistake. Yes. They're both dance shows and I'm going to be on Dancing with the Stars one day. Girl, yes, you are. Um, and you have a huge Instagram following, which is amazing. And I, you just had mentioned the podcast and so I saw you and then I was just like, you need to come on the podcast. And, and I'm so grateful and for that. You are, I really babe. am. I'm so excited. Talk about manifestation. Right? So crazy. I literally 
I, I, you just have no idea. I'm such a huge fan of you. Um, you know, growing up, watching your show, being in Texas, like I just, you know, you were that Hollywood lifestyle that I mm. wanted to live at that time, of course. Um, and I will admit, as you saw this morning on my Instagram, I did rewatch the show, which I hadn't done since the bling ring. Isn't it so cringy? Um, well, it's not that it's cringy, but it made me really sad. <laughs> really? And something Aww. that I once loved and was able to watch as just like good reality TV yeah. with like a separation. Um, well, I'm not able to do that for several reasons. One, because I've had a traumatic experience on national television and mm-hmm. myself have a known understanding of now what that's like mm-hmm. to be in the eye, to experience that. I mean, literally my first panic attack was on television. Yeah. You're, you're not there yet. Just wait. <laughs> um, so, you know, I can relate to you in that yeah. way. And then also, you know, listening to your podcast, literally every episode. And then also like every podcast you've been on, um, you I know, it's just, that. it's very hard to watch the show because mm. it's, I can't separate it anymore. It's not just fun for me. It's not just like these amazing catchphrases that I once loved. Yeah. It's like a human actually going through trauma and like also dealing with drug abuse on top of that. And, and I think people don't really understand yeah. how challenging that was. And I, I'm really careful to um, distinguish the fact that this isn't like when I talk about this, it's not like a poor me. I had a reality show and blah, blah, blah. It's that there was a person behind that, you mm-hmm. know, behind that meltdown that was experiencing a lot of trauma. And we actually just finished wrapped on a, on, on, on an episode about, um, dropping the shame and then owning the story, owning that part of you. And up until recently, I would say like a year and a half ago, all of that would haunt me. Like I, even in six and a half years sober and the Nancy Joe meme and the, all of the stuff would really, uh, you know, all of the, the memes of me crying and all of those things would really traumatize me. And then when I realized that all of that is a part of me, and that was la- the, that is going to be last week's um, affirmation. We always do an affirmation of at course. the end now. Okay, so uh, last week's affirmation is going to be all about um, acknowledging that all of that is a part of you, and that's what leads to really profound healing and dropping that shame and moving into a place of recovery. Totally is just you know having empathy, having the grief process, and then owning that that that's just a part of who I am and it's okay. Yeah, I've heard you actually say this before in another podcast and I actually feel the exact same way. I don't believe in regret when people mm-hmm. ask me like if you could go back and do your drag race experience, you know, over would you? And I always say the same thing, no. I'm so grateful for the experiences that I've had even though they were hard, even though, you know, it set me into my alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't have them, I wouldn't be like you said compassionate kind the person that I am today so like I'm so thankful for my experiences and ultimately I think we do get the last laugh because those memes are incredible and I I feel grateful that my I feel very attacked meme is like still out there mm-hmm. because <laughs> it is a part of me and yeah. like I say we got the last laugh at the end of the day my love you really did show Miss Nancy Joe that you are an amazing <laughs> great strong talented healthy young girl not even girl young woman young woman okay that and is- so that's <laughs> That's what's so amazing is you get to own that. You get to have that iconic moment and then you get to really have lived this recovery and lived this life. And and that's why it's just like when I discovered the podcast, I was like, why is this not a reality show? Like, how is your life not being told? Well, and I know why, because I live in Hollywood and I deal with it every day, but it's just like your story is what should be on the news. Like that to me is But people don't, it's not juicy enough now. I mean, it it is, is, honey, I listen to your podcast and you're ridiculous. (laughs) Don't get it twisted, Miss Thing. You are still pretty wild, but it's just in a new refined eye. In a different way. And I just think there's so many people, including myself, who 
relate to that and who need that and who, you know, I know you're doing all that you can to get it out in the public eye and on doctor Mm -hmm. and on television shows. And I think that's only going to increase for you. Um, But that's why I was like, I want to come on and I want to be a part of that. And I want my, my group of people to hear your story if they don't know you and if they do know you, which they should um, (laughs) to, to feel what I felt when I discovered your podcast, which is just like, wow, like people change, people grow and And everyone deserves to be happy. Yeah. And the underlying message is that like, we can all recover from trauma and I'm sorry, but the truth is that like everybody is having trauma, especially the LGBTQ. Now I learned from Shank's podcast, what LGBTQ plus IA close uh, LGBTQAI plus I know it's the whole alphabet girl we're, we're going through it <laughs> um right now and um you know there's so much that's going on in our world and so this is a platform and a podcast for people who want to come together collectively to hear stories to dissect them and to move into a place of empowerment instead of allowing you know the the what would you call it the the systems that are currently in place to continue to like tell us that we're crazy and that our stories don't deserve to be told and that we're just another drug addict and we're just another whatever it might be another statistic and it's like i'm here to tell you that no right that's not true that's not true yeah you know and that we are beautiful people and we have a story to say i mean to tell and so i want to jump into your story and talk about like what your life was like growing up. I sure. mean, obviously, I know you grew up in Texas. Yes. What part of Texas? I grew up in uh, Dallas, Texas. Actually, okay. Carrollton, which is outside of Dallas. Dallas. Okay. Um, with a very loving family. I am Aww. so blessed that my mom and dad were extremely supportive of my artistic side at a young age. My dad would run the follow spots on the show. Sometimes he was Aww. even in them with me. So I definitely grew up with stage parents who you know, allowed me to express myself in creative Which ways. Which in Texas is exactly amazing. Unless yeah. you're like a stage mom for a little girl. <laughs> right, unless you you're like a dance mom. A dance mom, which you hear a lot about and is a very real thing. I have a lot of family in Texas, so I know that that culture there yep. is not that it's supportive. It's not gone. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. still very much alive. Yes, yes. And that, you know, you were really lucky to have parents that were so yeah. supportive. Yeah. What age did you kind of start thinking like, I don't like girls. Well, I don't think it was ever, um, I don't like girls. I don't think that was ever a thought. Mm -hmm. I think I always liked boys. I just Mm -hmm. pretended to like girls because that was the thing to do. You know, Um, I definitely had girlfriends in middle school, but by the time I was, you know, a freshman in high school, it was, I knew for sure. So like, I didn't even pretend at that point. Plus, if you can't tell from meeting me, I'm very (laughs) feminine, very expressive. And so everyone knew I was gay. Yeah. And you mentioned on Shank's podcast and we love um, her podcast over here. And I was a guest if you guys want to go listen. It's amazing Um, that you're just kind of under or you're just coming into your truth that you are kind of like non-gender conforming. Yeah. So I, you know, never really had a term to describe how I identified. I've just always felt fluid. I mean, am I a male? Do I have a penis? Is that what society says? Yes. Um, But I really discovered the term non-binary through the drag scene. Um, And non-binary, for people who may not be, you know, introduced to that term before, it's when someone doesn't necessarily identify as a male or a female, Mm -hmm. but somewhere in between. And so that's exactly what I am. Um, You know, I present male a lot of the times. I love a beard when I'm not working, Mm. but I definitely still identify most with femininity and prefer like when people are talking about me to use the pronoun she and her. And so it gets in this very great area that we're just now really kind of talking about. Um, So I'm not even for sure how I express 
that, you know, gender identity, really. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm exploring it myself, but I do know that it is a term that definitely associates with what I feel inside, which is this need to not be one or the other. You yeah. know, I, I work so much in drag, so I am dressed up as a female for a majority of my life. Um, and I like it. The, the feeling I get from high heels, from makeup, from wigs, it's a very different feeling than when I'm, you know, dressed as I am today. Yeah. And so I like the being able to express both. And I hope to find a partner who will enjoy both, probably will identify as bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think it's really cool that we finally are in this day and age where these conversations are being had. Yeah. Um, because I really do think so much of where we are in life with addiction, with, with so many of our issues is, is what society says. It's, it's all these preconceived notions and ideas that were given at birth. Absolutely. And so we're grown up with these concepts that aren't necessarily true, but are true because society makes them. And I really mm-hmm. think gender is one of those. Had I grown up just with a penis and no one telling me I was a boy or a girl, I probably would say I'm a girl now. But because society tells us a girl looks a certain way, is a certain way. I mean, I hate to break it to you guys, but it's 2019. Women have penises these days. It's it's just the truth. Um, And men have vaginas. And that sexual part of our body doesn't define how we identify and who we are. And I think that's just what's so great about the conversation that's being had. And I can only imagine, maybe not our children, but the children after that, being raised in a place where gender really isn't a thing. Um, Race isn't really a thing. You know, at least that's where I hope we get. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if we don't change this president thing, we're going to have some issues. (laughs) And we'll get into politics (laughs) because I love that you talk about that. Yeah, I'm a drag queen, you know? And it's not so much that race isn't a thing. It's that we can just accept the fact that that, you know, and appreciate and and have a deep reverence and appreciation for people celebrating their race and their culture. Yes. And it's like we need to move into this place where, um, you know, I, he- I heard from I don't remember who it was that I heard this from, but somebody said in response to Khloe Kardashian, who said, I don't see color. It's like that's part of the problem. Like we need to see and appreciate all of these things and people, too, and their choices. And so I I am a and I've never even said this. I don't. Say it, girl. Oh my god, I'm like getting We're breaking barriers. I know, I was gonna say, we're probably gonna need Kleenex at one point. What the hell? I'm like, I don't know why this just brought up so much for me. Whoa, weird. Um, so like, I'm very feminine, identify as a woman, love my vagina, love being pregnant, giving birth, nursing my baby, my tits. I love all of it, right? Um, and and that's okay. I don't know why I just got like emotional. That's so weird. Um, but even as like a preteen and young teen, like my crush was like Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> okay. Like I, my, I, and I don't know why I'm so nervous, just probably because my family's going to be shocked. But like I spent a lot of my teenage years like having sex with girls. Sure. <laughs> like, wow. What the hell? I feel like a gay person coming out right now because I guess I kind of am. I have had sex with plenty of girls. Like, I've been wildly attracted to girls. I've had, like, short-term girlfriends. My celebrity crush crush is Ruby Rose. Hey, me too. Hello. (laughs) She's so hot. She is. And Ellen DeGeneres, and Evan knows that. I was like, that's my, like, one pass. And I've been really open with Evan about that. And in our relationship, and this is even crazy to say, and this is your interview, not mine, so we should just go on to another topic. But my relationship, and I'm with a partner that's so evolved where he is not at all bisexual, but um, 
where he's like, if there's a part of you that's not being like met in this relationship, like I'm totally comfortable with you going outside of the relationship. And I personally believe in, um, for myself that I need to have a closed marriage and I can't have an open relationship. I am the same believer. Okay. So for people who don't know, like open relationship is not being in a polygamous relationship where you bring other people into your marriage. It's going outside of your marriage and having outside relationships and then also having like your marriage. And so I don't personally think that that would work for for us. Um, and so it's not that necessarily like I'm denying that part of myself. It's just that I fell so in love with Evan and who he is as a person that we came together. So I guess I'm kind of out and I've been holding that back. I think because we've seen celebrities like Halsey and these other people, was it Halsey that came out as bisexual and the backlash was like so intense because people are like, Oh, you're just trying to be relevant and you're just trying to like, you know, people always have something to say, you know, people just want to say something. Um, to get attention or whatever it might be. And this is very far from this. And like, I'm probably going to have a lot of my family members that are like, what the fuck? <laughs> I had but it's no your idea. Truth. I'm thinking you have to speak it, I know. your truth. And that was freeing for me. And so that's why I got emotional. Is that like, okay, I'm coming out of the closet as like a bisexual person right now who loves having sex with women and men. So that's just. <laughs> no well, there you go. Is. We need more of them. And if you're a single, lovely, rich man <laughs> who is like this, please contact me at Laganja Strancha. <laughs> Exactly. Okay, so back into your story. So you grew up, you had really supportive parents. You were always into the arts. By high school, you knew for sure, like, I like men. This is what I'm about. Yeah, and and, and by high school, I was like, okay, I was at a public school for my freshman year where my mom was actually the counselor. Both Mm -hmm. my mom and dad were high school counselors for... 30 plus years, which is one of the reasons why I'm so sensitive and so, you know, uh, just aware of the energy in the room. Yeah. Um, but so after my freshman year, I moved to the arts high school, which was Booker T. Washington. We had people like Nora Jones, Erica Badu, Roy Hardgrove all graduate from my school. So it's an incredible school. And there I really honed in on my skills. And I discovered, even though I'd been doing musical theater up to that point, that dance and choreography were like my true passion. So at that point, I moved to California for the first time and went to the California Institute of the Arts out by Magic Mountain, because no one knows what Valencia is. No, they don't. Um, but <laughs> that was such a you know freeing experience, because up to that point, I really was a mama's boy. I did everything I was supposed to. I had a 4.0. I parted my hair. I wore the button-up t- you know, collared shirts. Like I really was you know, that good Southern boy. So when I came mm-hmm. to college... You know, all that went out the window. I mean, I dyed my hair neon red. I started, you know, expressing my femininity, um, doing drugs, partying. She came into herself. Yeah. You know, I I was 18 years old in California. So I definitely had a lot of fun. But I always say that college was the best time of my life because as an artist, you know, I was given space and dancers and things that, you know, now are very hard as a choreographer to align in Los Angeles with very little budget. Mm -hmm. So college for me was incredible. I did discover myself. That's where I created Laganja. Um, I started going to the Halloween parties in drag because that's always the one acceptable time that like men can dress as women. I want to know about this because from what I understand, you're supposed to be given a drag name from like your drag 
mother. So but that correct is, me if I'm wrong. No, that that is one okay. way that people get their drag okay. names. Um, when I birthed the character Laganja, I didn't have a drag mother at the time. Mm-hmm. I definitely had people in my life who were drag queens and inspirations, but really the character Laganja, it was just being high on cannabis uh, in college with my buddies and, you know, me wanting to perform at this event that we called uh, Cal Arts is Burning, which is based off a very famous documentary called Paris is Burning, which is if you've never seen, add it to your queue. Okay. It's about the underground Vogue ball scene uh, culture in the 70s, 80s, predominantly in the African-American culture because it was, you know, their culture that really started the scene. Um, but it's a legendary documentary among the gay crowd. And so we created this event at our school called Cal Arts is Burning. And so I did. I performed as Laganja for the very first time. And it was a huge hit. The, sh- the, the school loved it. I loved it. You know, at that time, I definitely presented more androgynous. My character mm-hmm. was not as feminine as she is now. I wore pasties, um, you know, had short green hair. So it was definitely more non-binary really back then before full drag but it wasn't until I graduated um, college that I began entering amateur contests as a drag queen and one of them was like a really big competition in West Hollywood um, at Mickey's West Hollywood which is a legendary nightclub among the gay the gay scene oh my god we gotta go out okay let's go I gotta go out I'm like a you have to come see me perform in a heartbeat I will be there you'll get your life I, I, You'll get your life. I maybe need some of, more of that in my life because yeah. now I'm like in motherhood zone and I can't even remember the last time I've been out at a club and I'm 28 years old. It's probably been 10 years. Well, if we're going to go out, we'll go to downtown because West Hollywood's so gross so homogenized uh, okay. <laughs> um, but so I won this competition and yeah. be- the prize was that you became a regular showgirl so every Monday night I had to be in their show which meant that I was really kind of thrust into this career I wasn't I was doing it for fun you know yeah. I wasn't really doing it that serious I mean it was paying my bills but I don't know it's still at that point it wasn't I wasn't that serious it wasn't until I got that award and became an official showgirl and was with RuPaul's Drag Race Girls every Monday night that I was like okay I gotta step this pussy up Mm -hmm. so for about a year before the television show I worked locally in Los Angeles making $50 a night spending hundreds of dollars to be there um, just hustling and and believing in my craft and hoping that you know I would get on Drag Race and luckily a year later I did Um, Now, the crazy thing that you know about reality television, of course, is when you film it, then there's a process where they edit it and it takes a while Mm -hmm. for the show to come out. So I had a whole nother year after the television show in which I had to continue making $50, busting ass, you know, making it in the scene, staying relevant, all of that good stuff. Um, but then the show came out and I want to go back to say, how did yeah. you get on the show? Like, sure. was there auditions? Yes. So okay. you, at the time you had to send in like a 10 minute tape. Now I think it's like 30 minutes. They just keeps getting harder oh and harder, God. but you had to do a couple of the challenges that they do on the show. You had to show a, a bunch of different runway looks. You had to do a boy interview, a girl interview. So it was a, it was a fierce tape. I mean, my girlfriend and I spent a lot of time, a lot of hours, I think 26 hours making the tape. Wow. So it was a fierce process, but I was really lucky that my drag mother, Alyssa Edwards, was on uh, the previous season. And she had had such uh, incredible reception that I think it was only natural people wanted to see her daughter next. Mm. So I, I really had her to help me shoe in. And then I think because I am such a energetic performer needless to say uh that just it made me a shoe in for reality reality television plus at the time i was 23 years old hungry to be a star and willing to pretty much do anything and everything yeah Yeah. i mean i i didn't understand at that time when we made the television show that producers were 
guiding me to tell a story. I mm-hmm. genuinely thought like I was funny and they loved me and that everything I was giving them was above and beyond, you know, which is why my character, I believe, came off so erratic because not only was I always hyped up and giving them all the energy, when they wanted me to be vulnerable, I was because, again, I was raised by counselors. So when people ask you real questions, it's just my nature to answer with real answers. I don't, even though there was a television, I didn't quite understand at that age, like, oh, we're making TV here. Like, you yeah, don't I need to be so, so real. Naive. I think that you just, you're so naive to the process. Like, people just think that, for one, reality TV is reality. It's not. It's like, it's not scripted. It's but cheap it's, actors. It, yeah, it <laughs> is. And um, it's not necessarily that they're feeding you lines, but they are kind of like... Heavily, Guiding the gu- scenario. Yes, they are. And... Um, I mean, in Drag Race, they would literally be hidden underneath the table being like, okay, ask about her mother and you're like doing your makeup and only have two hours in which to get ready and you're like are you serious so you would be rushing and then you'd have to have this whole moment with trinity about her dead mother and like so yeah it's cheap acting yeah it's a lot it's definitely a lot and you don't really know what to expect going into it and so when we were offered our show we were just like yeah okay let's do it like we had no idea um but we really were perfect for reality tv because we were so erratic and just crazy and and iconic and legendary (laughs) and everything that we love thank you quick break from today's episode to talk about our amazing sponsor which is cured nutrition when i started this podcast everybody and their mother who owned a cbd company started hitting me up and i'm not the um biggest cbd fan until i found cured i'm obsessed with cured because usually when you have cbd comes in you know gummies or in drops that you have to put under your tongue but Cured put together these amazing capsules. They're the Rise capsules. They have CBD to get you through your day, but they also have lion's mane extract, which is super good for your adrenals. They have B vitamins. They have all of these different herbs and vitamins in them that help you throughout your day to have enough energy and to feel level and balanced. And I really, really like this entire line, you guys. So right now for my listeners to try some of the cured products, which there is a slew of products, you guys, they do have the original tincture drops. They now have these gel capsules. They've got dog treats. Hell, they've got this like honey stuff that you can sprinkle on your food. They've got it all. So you can go and try their products and I swear you will not be disappointed over at curednutrition.com. That's curednutrition, C-U-R-E-D, nutrition.com. And you can receive 25% off today using the code Alexis25 at checkout. Again, that's code Alexis25 at checkout. Yeah, so it's just like a wild time. Okay, so you get on RuPaul's Drag Race, and then what transpires? Like So after? after the show finally comes out, now at this point, you know, my drug use and alcohol use, I would say was strong, but I wouldn't say was abusive. I would say it was definitely just 23 years old partying, you know, making mm-hmm. some irresponsible choices. But at this point, it wasn't really a problem in my life. It was just something that it was it was an activity that I did partying. Yeah. It was scheduled in. Um, but after the show um, and my reception, you know, slowly as the episodes go by, you'll see I get more and more <laughs> ridiculous. I can't. Um, I, OK, I can't wait. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, people started hating me. They thought I was annoying. Mm. They thought I was fake. They didn't see the fact that I am an incredible dancer, that I am, you know, incredibly kind. Those things were not highlighted because you know, it doesn't make good, you know, yeah, reality television. A we just Someone need to, to well, and I wasn't the villain. So that's okay. good. I wasn't the villain, but I was like the annoying person who always played victim. Mm. Is kind of my character. 
but I had a lot of, you know, iconic moments. It just was when it first came out, people didn't really, besides my entrance, people weren't saying my catchphrases were iconic. They were saying they were annoying. Well, that was really hard to deal with, obviously. Um, you know, this was my big shot, and I just couldn't believe that this was the reception I was getting because here I am, this talented artist who has a BFA, who's incredibly intellectual, and I've been reduced to, you know, three catchphrases. So I did. That's when I really began abusing alcohol um, because, you know, again, I was on the television show. People were bringing me into nightclubs. I was given alcohol for free. In fact, I was encouraged to drink because nine Mm -hmm. times out of 10, when drag queens are more drunk, they're more willing to say dirtier things and be more, you know, over the top. And so promoters nine times out of 10 are encouraging that. Mm -hmm. Now, not the club owners, but the promoters. Absolutely. So it took me. I would say at least through the first year of being off of that television show to not only acknowledge the problem, but to own the problem. Because it's one thing when you're like, okay, I know I have a problem, but it's another to be like, okay, I have a problem and now I really have to do something about it. Yeah. So I... Was your family concerned? Like, how did you get to that point? Because so many people have to Well, I was very secretive. Okay. So my family didn't really know the scope of how bad it was at first. Um... But my friends did, for sure. My roommates, the people who, you know, would see me stumble in at home, those people knew, for sure. But those people were also, you know, doing all that they could. I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink, you know? So finally, I, you know, it got really bad. I mean, really, really bad. And mind you, I had a DUI in 2011. Um, and the statistic on that, I think is now 89%. I think when I first went, it was 80% repeat, but now I think it's 89% repeat people who have DUIs do it again. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was one of them and I couldn't believe that because, you know, I just, I had promised myself I would never be that. And, you know, when you put others lives at risk, it's, it says a lot about you as a human and that's not how I was raised and that's not who I am. And so when I finally, all of that clicked, that's when I was like, okay, I have to get sober. You know, when I'm putting other people's lives at risk above my own, when I'm thinking I'm God, like that's not cool. Not saying I thought I was God, but when you think your time is more important than others, which I'm so sorry I'm late. You know what I mean? Like that, that really sends this message. And I just knew at my core, this is getting in the way of my professionalism. And if there's anything I know about myself, it's that I grew up in musical theater. I was, I grew up to be a professional. If you're earlier on time, if you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, you're fired. That's just, that's in my blood. So again, that's why I was like texting you nine times. Being like, okay, here's my update. Here's where I am because it's it's just, that's who I was raised to be. Um, And so that's when I finally seeked, you know, the help of a therapist. Um, And I was incredible to find someone who, you know, before was a social worker. So she was tough as nails. And that's what I needed at that time. Um, And so, you know, it took a long time for me to get sober. I I think I saw her for at least another year. And I tried everything, you know, oh, well, I'll just drink out, you know, just drink beer, or I'll just drink on the weekends or just at home and tried to give myself rules and limitations. And it always ended up leading to the same thing, which was just bad choices and blackout drunk. Um, so I was so thankful when I finally, you know, discovered Stacy, um, and began seeing her because she really began to help me get the tools that I needed. Um, I tried AA, but I'm not religious. I'm very spiritual. And I felt that those practices, I don't know, they just, they, it wasn't broad enough. I felt it was just too, it didn't work for me. And I even tried NA and I did have better luck in NA. I felt that I could relate to those people more. Um, but again, it's just that that 12 step process and all of that, it didn't work for me. Yeah. But seeing a therapist and having her, 
you know, give me tools. And I got into meditation. I got into yoga, um, Reiki, you know, all of the things, crystals, all the spiritual things that she led me to um, that really are coping mechanisms that I use to this day to 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 live my daily life, to, you know, Let's survive Let's jump this. back into the AA thing because yeah. I've told people that I no longer attend AA meetings and I get so many questions. And so because you don't either. I think it's interesting to kind of like dive into this. I will say that um, there is definitely like a more religious aspect to it than spiritual. And that can turn a lot of people off. And you'll hear from more um, uh, from more of like the younger people that, you know, well, you just take what you want and you leave the rest. Correct. So I had an amazing I was lucky enough to have an amazing sponsor um, who was a she was just this amazing like hippie chick who lived in Topanga and was super spiritual and not at all religious. And we began working together. And I think that um, what gets lost in all of the noise is like what the 12 steps is really about. It's about helping people and it's about looking through at our lives going, okay, I am clearly powerless over alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, whatever, whatever. it might be. Um, and it's made my life totally unmanageable. Um, two, like, I know that I can't fix this problem by myself. Like, there absolutely has to be something bigger that can ultimately, like, guide and direct my life and that I can feel like I can depend on because depending on myself always leads to disaster, right? Because if I'm just going to go on my own free will, then chances are I'm going to get loaded again. And then three is, like, surrendering to whatever that is. And four is taking this inventory, which you can do with a therapist or whoever. It even says in the big book, like, you don't have to do this with a sponsor. You can do the inventory as we had laid out, which I found to be really helpful um, in my early recovery because I needed to look at what was other people's and what was mine. And um, then to move into, like, all of my fears and all of those things. And then eventually into a place of, like, forgiveness of myself and others making amends um some need to be living and then some you know like some people i can't say sorry to right so i have to make a living amends and then some people i can actually make that amends and then having a spiritual practice and going out into the world and helping other people so like the basis of all of that makes sense to me absolutely same with me what i was having a problem with at, towards the end is that i was hearing a lot of people in meetings who had 20 years who would say things like i'm always this close to a drink or a drug and I would hear them say that and I would say, I would think to myself, like, am I doing something wrong? Because for me, the obsession to drink and use was completely lifted. I've had to take pain pills in recovery. I've had to take medications before and never once was I like, okay, now let me go get some heroin. It was always, you know, let me get off of this as soon as possible. That obsession, that chattering mind, that I insanity completely went away from me and I don't know maybe I'm just one of the weird lucky ones I don't know but the whole idea that like if I don't continue to come here and if I don't continue to do this as they say that I'm somehow going to get loaded and like ruin my life um you know that just didn't resonate with me anymore and then when my sponsor who had over 20 years sober felt the same way left AA, which is insane because we were a part of like a fundamentalist group. Like we read the original manuscript of the big book. It was insane. But um, when she left, then I left and it's been three and a half years. And in this last three and a half years, I've done more growth and have had just 
incredible experiences and you know now it's you know i'm over eight years sober and you know so i think a is great and i'm grateful for all the things that it did in the beginning for me and there are other paths and if you are struggling seeing a therapist or smart recovery or refuge recovery which is buddhist aa basically um you know like the buddhist version and then aa and na and all of these things are options and i think in this day and age where addiction is so prevalent like we have to be willing to let people try whatever works for them right and that's what i had to do i had to try i had to go to the meetings i had to you know give myself rules i had to do all of that you know like like i said you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink so I was led and I tried, but it, it, I had to find my own way out mm-hmm. into my recovery. And, and that really was sitting with someone one-on-one tailored to my needs and having someone neutral in my life that I could really, it was crazy. Like even sometimes just talking to her out loud, I'd be like, oh, and I just discovered the answer yes. because you're so, <laughs> like, I just, you were the bouncing board, yeah. you know? And I, I, I don't know. I, I'm so grateful for that. And, uh, you know, I did. I, I was sober for three years, um, which I never thought would ever happen. Um, I, I'm so proud of that. And, you know, as I told you when I first reached out, I was like, you know, I'm not sober right now. And you were like, well, that's not what this show's about, no. which obviously as I listened to, I discovered that as well. Um, but I think it is such an important conversation to be having, which is why I was like, I want to have it with you because... It is something that I am more quiet about. Here come my tears. That's okay, um, sweetie. You we, know, get, we get the tissue. <laughs> it is something that I'm more quiet about. I should um, have a tissue box here, but all I have it's is fine. toilet paper. It's soft so toilet paper, so whatever. that's all that matters. Um, <laughs> my, my sister and I, Gia yeah. Gunn, who I met on the show, when I got sober, she got sober with me. And we went on like a sober as sexy tour. And we mm-hmm. basically you know, told our story around the world about our struggles and meeting each other on the show and partying and having all that happen to us. And then also having this incredible sistership and getting sober together and, you know, just how that could really, I don't know, inspire people. And the tour was pretty successful. I mean, obviously nightclubs where they're selling liquor don't really love that your uh, (laughs) MO is like sobriety is sexy, but we were fun and we were drag queens Mm -hmm. and we made sure that people were still drinking and having a good time. And we were raunchy and, and we wove it in there. And that was the first time as a drag queen since RuPaul's Drag Race that I really felt like I used my platform for something that wasn't just glitz and glamour. Mm. And it made me so aware of my original you know, artist statement, which is, I don't want fame just because I want to be in Versace and I, I want all the fabulous things. Do I want that? Of course. But the reason I, I want fame and I want success is because I want to create art at such a level that requires such a financial you know, stability that I can't do it on the level that I'm at right now. I break even on everything I do. Um, you know, I want to be directing Cirque du Soleil. I want to have people flying in from the ceiling. Well, how do you do that? You need more money. Well, how do you need more money? Well, you have to raise your brand. And so oh, it becomes baby. this. This is me right now. Endless with this cycle. Oh, of, my God. Uh, you know, improving yourself. And so that's why I was mm-hmm. like, let's take this message on the road and let's let's show people that, you know, yes, we're drag queens. Yes, we have this following, but we're humans just like you, too. And we fault. And and so that was really powerful for me. And it just 
it gave me a purpose because cannabis has always been something that I'm very open about. I am a cannabis advocate. I believe in cannabis as medicine. I have used cannabis to get off of alcohol. I have used cannabis, you know, to regulate my sleeping, my eating, um, you know, but I do believe it's a medicine and that means that it's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that many people, um, cannabis is a gateway drug and it does lead them into other things because, you know, they've been told cannabis is bad. And so when they try it and it's not, it's like, well, if this isn't bad, then maybe Coke's not bad. I know that was true for me. I think it's also, um, well, two things that I want to ask. What do you say? First of all, what do you say to people who say that you're just replacing alcohol with weed? I'm interested in your perspective. I have an interest. I think I have a very non-traditional response to that as well. So I just want to know what you think. I would say yes and no. I agree on both sides. I don't think anything is black or white. I don't think Mm -hmm. anything is yes or no. I think there's a gradient to everything. And so... As, a, as someone who does self-medicate with cannabis, I am very aware of that. And as someone who promotes cannabis as medicine, I'm even more aware of that because the tendency is for people to think that I am a pothead and that I am the Snoop Dogg of drag and that I'm over here getting you know recreationally high. And the truth of the matter is I'm not. I smoked one joint before I even came here today. It wasn't like I, you know, got loaded on all this weed because I know that. I know that about myself. I know what I need. And so again, it's it's my personal journey. You can have an outside perspective. You can say that I'm replacing that and I think that you are justified in saying that because sometimes to do I do that? Sometimes have I done that? 100%. But ultimately, it is my journey, it is my path and I have to have that strong will within myself to know what is my limit and where I am medicating and where I am abusing. Yeah. Here's my thought about it. Um, I used to be, we were just talking before this too, to my sound guy about medical assisted treatment. Everybody's doing it now. Um, Which is? Medical assisted treatment would be for people. So there used to be, so this drug Suboxone came out, right? Mm -hmm. And it became a huge problem because everybody got Suboxone. Addicted to that. Everybody got, got Suboxone, right? But what we're seeing, which is what they wanted to make yeah, money. But what we're seeing more and more is, um, well, but the same thing could be said about pot, right? Because sure. everybody's well, pushing nowadays, pot now. Yeah, yeah, nowadays that's the way that's the way that it is. Everybody can smoke. But I'm pot. like, let's push cannabis before we push the box. <laughs> and of course, and I agree with that too. Um, but there's something to be said. Like we do, we have clients who have been to treatment ten to fifteen times who are just whether it's like a cognitive thing or mental health thing, and they have been on medication galore. And we, you know, and it's a really, it's a hard call to make. But at the end of the day, I personally believe in um, the path of um, harm reduction because it's much better for someone to be on Suboxone, even if it's like the max dose, and they are high than it is for someone to be sticking a needle in their arm and possibly overdosing every day. And so it's much better. And I don't, I have a problem with smoking cannabis and driving just because I have been so high and I've driven before and I absolutely know that it alters our state of mind. 100%. But I think um, it's much, it's the alternative, if the alternative is blacking out and drinking, you know what I mean? Then like, obviously marijuana would be the better alternative. My thought about it though is um, we all have to look at the root, right? Like why do I feel the need to want to check out right now? And I think that as long as we're being really honest with ourselves that like right now this is coming from a desire to check out, 
you know, it's not like, okay, my anxiety is really high. And instead of going and getting a benzo, I'm going to smoke a little weed. This is like, I really am feeling like I need to check out. Today was really rough or whatever it is. I would encourage anybody, um, you know, to continue listening to this podcast and to listen to this podcast, specifically the episode with Uta, my spiritual healer, where we talk about tapping and other things that you can do to relieve stress and ultimately to bring you into a place like meditation does. You know, when you go down into the subconscious, how completely Zen you are. And obviously you can't do that in the midst of a panic attack. Right. And it's really hard for me because I have panic attacks and I'm sober and it's fucking brutal. It's really, really hard. I think that this is a dialogue that we're going to need to continue to have over the next several years. I think that more research needs to be done, but I'm not for or against anything. Um, But I am absolutely for figuring out what works best for you because I want you, I just, I don't want people dying. I don't want people dying of drug overdoses. I don't want people dying in car accidents. I don't want people have you know these people who need help that aren't able to get the help that they need i don't want them dying and so if weed for you keeps you from being blackout drunk i would much prefer that you smoke weed every day right than getting blacked out yeah. you know what i mean yeah so i kind of uh, it's just something that i've been toying with and thinking about more and more lately um because i think that there is no one path it isn't black and white it's all gray right right and everyone has their own mm-hmm. journey to you know, their spiritual happiness. And I think, like I said, for me, um, you know, someone who grew up on antidepressants and who grew up with Ambien and all of these pharmaceuticals to help things, like I said, such as sleeting and sleeting, sleeping and eating and, uh, you know, regulating my mood. For me, cannabis does all of that. And so why would I, you know, take that away from myself? Um, because it's a drug and it's bad for me, you know, like I, that's what I'm saying. I just, I know for me what works. Um, and that's why I I can only ever give my opinion on how I feel about something because everyone's, you know, reception to the plant is different. Um, but I, of course have seen, you know, across the board, it helped people with epilepsy. I've seen it help, you know, dogs. I mean, I've just seen it help children. I've, I've seen it help so many people. And that's why, you know, I ultimately believe with, like you said, more, research with yeah more we need proper, to take it off you know, i think it's a schedule one drug still it which is. is absurd it is we need to get rid of that so that way people because the thing is they put this drug as a schedule one drug and then you can't actually go and do studies on it right. because it's a schedule one drug so we absolutely i'm all for i'm actually for the legalization of all drugs i know that sounds yeah, really extreme but i am um you've seen the benefits in places like portugal which had like a really high death rate from um, opiates and it just drastically dropped that it dropped the amount of crime I mean we see it in Vancouver where they do the safe injection sites it's not legal there but they have safe injection sites they actually have this thing called the heroin trials where they're now they're um, the people who have been through the system because it's all um, it's uh, socialized medicine up there so everybody has the access to detox they've been through detox so many times and maybe they have like I said cognitive uh, uh, issues uh, uh, disabilities things like that where they're just not going to get sober and they will go and inject them with pure clean heroin so they're not like overdosing and dying three times a day and they don't 
go out and get loaded. They don't go and find more drugs. They are they just go get their dose, go throughout their day, whatever it might be, and then, you know, their next dose and their next dose and the next dose. But I'm I'm totally for the decriminalization of all drugs. I think it's absurd. I think that it benefits no one but our for-profit prison industry. Um it disproportionately affects people of color and it's absurd. Preach, mama. <laughs> I just there can't believe go. Alexis Mama, the pretty wild is up here turning y'all out today. Look at her go. It's so cool. It's just so cool. Oh, it well, really is. I mean, I just I'm I'm kind of I'm at the point point now where we look at okay in the politics. I wanted to get into that because I get a lot of um, backlash for talking about politics on my platform sure. you too because people are like, stay in your lane, bitch. Well, luckily, you know, I'm gay, so most of my following is gay, gay. and they're like, and they're we're like, down for the cause. Oh yes, yeah. okay. Well, I get, but I do I get, get backlash. Mixed. I mean, yeah, I get I get a mixed response from people. Um, did you watch the debates last night? I did not, girl. I was working, of course. Okay. Well, she was working and twerking. You're going to have to teach me how to twerk. I'm serious. I, oh, I, yeah. I really want to do that. I know. So I posted a video. I have an injury with my sacrum right now that I'm trying to heal. And um, so I've gained like five pounds. And I'm like, whatever. I'm still hot as fuck. Down. Um, <laughs> so but once my sacrum injury is healed, I'm serious. I've, I have... I posted the other day. Remember that show MTV made? 100. Oh, my God. So I danced growing up for a number of years until I like so injured Oh, mama, we saw on the show. Okay, yeah. I mean, we I'm saw not the talking pole about moves. pole dancing. I'm talking about like legit dancing, but pole dancing too. I mean, pole dancing is amazing. Oh, that's what I do too. It's an incredible art form. It really is. Um, Maybe not but, at 15, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think my mom's a little bit crazy letting us uh, pole dance at you 15 think? years old. Yeah, that's, that's pushing it for sure. But at that age when watching the show, you see, we were like, we live. Oh, yes. We want to do that too. I know. I want to move to Hollywood and pull dance. I know. I know. It seemed really sexy and attractive on the show, which is kind of sick because we were like barely 18. Right. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Watching it today, <laughs> I was like, this is kitty like porn. <laughs> starting with her giving y'all Adderall. Like we could never show that now. I know. We I could know. never show that I now. I know. Well, uh, yeah but back then it was like i said hilarious we were like oh my well, god what a but cool what about mom all these kids like little zan isn't that his name oh, and all girl. these i mean oh god it honestly breaks my heart when i think it was miley cyrus and her sister was going out with one of, was it him i don't I know. don't know it was one of them and i'm just sitting there going oh my god like this I believe we should legalize all drugs. I believe we should normalize addiction and mental health and all of that. But like that is not, that's a problem. Like you're promoting getting loaded like on Xanax to like kids. He's a little kid named little Xan. Yeah. It's like not okay. Like I I just don't think that that's okay. But that's my personal opinion. Um, But where was I? What the fuck? Where was I? I mean, we were talking about, uh, we were talking about politics. Bitch, how do we get here? I don't even know how do we get here. Okay, anyways. You were just saying that, you know, you get backlash. I get backlash. Right. I wasn't saying that. I was saying something else. I totally got off topic, which is fine. Um, I was talking about politics. Okay, so, yes. Politics. Okay, so I watched the debates. I watched all of the debates. I like to be informed, you guys. A woke bitch is... A woke right bitch. bitch. I mean, we, <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. And um, the, you know, you can be woke and really fine as fuck too. We're proof. So one hundred. You know, you can follow us because you think you're cute, and also listen to what we have to say. This is 2019, bitches. Um, so I was looking at all of the different candidates, and 
honestly, I'm so confused. It's like, it's overwhelming. What well, are we going to so do? Many. There's so many. I think 10 of them need to drop out immediately and just <laughs> run for Senate. No, I'm not kidding. Like, uh, it, it is way too much. I'll tell you, my front runners are Elizabeth Warren and Always. Cory Booker. Yeah. I'm for Warren. Yeah, yeah, I like Warren a lot. I didn't in the beginning. My husband is her biggest champion. He's like Warren, Warren, um, and I'm. I was kind of like no, and she is so with the whole Native American thing. Like she's gonna get so much backlash. But then what I realized is all these candidates have problems. They all do. Harris for Uh-oh. being a prosecutor in California. Joe Biden for like his past policy stuff. Um, Sanders for being far too socialist, like he'll never get that middle of the road vote. Um, look, I mean, they all of them have issues. Um, oh yes, okay. So my producers like mention Marianne Williams. Okay, let's let's talk about it. She is like the dark horse. She, she's Marianne is up there coming through. <laughs> In a major way. Everything she was saying, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Here's the problem. I feel like the vast majority of the population is not evolved enough to like, they're hearing what they're saying. And she's like, she's a cuckoo. But I'm hearing what she's saying. I'm like, yes, bitch. Yes. This is what I'm talking about. It's love. We all need to come together and love each other and appreciate each other. And blah, blah, blah. Um, I do. I love her. But I don't think she's going to be. I don't think she has a chance. And then the other guy that I think is interesting is the guy that wants to give $1,000 to everybody. Andrew Yang, 2020. Go visit his platform and listen to it. This guy is an entrepreneur, okay? He's got like a ton of money. He's got a son. This was his point last night that I thought was so impressive. And we're totally off topic here, but I love it. He goes, my wife is at home with our our autistic son right now taking care of him. Why is the work she's doing not as valued as somebody else? And I it like blew my mind. I was like, yes, absolutely. And so his idea is like that a thousand dollars a month is going to not only help um, put into the hands of the American people is going to help our economy because people are going to be spending more money. It's going to help everybody's overall like well-being because they don't have to worry about affording groceries or their rent or whatever it might be i don't know it's interesting i don't think it's at all realistic realistic but i think that like we're having big ideas well and i like that people are thinking outside the box yes the republican party is getting more and more into their box which is getting tinier and tinier and the democratic party is like expanding at a level which i don't know if we can keep up yet with like the extra liberal in the middle of the road like where are we going um but we're expanding at a rate that is like really impressive yeah i agree i agree where you can have a yang and a Williamson and a Biden all on the same stage. Right. Which is amazing. It's, and Pete Buttigieg. I'm surprised you're not going for... Uh, <laughs> you're not going for Pete Buttigieg? I don't think so, Is that Myla. a stereotype just because your guy that I would think you'd go for Pete Buttigieg? Okay, that shows my bias. I'm sorry. And now I'm just, always going to go for a woman. Okay, you're I just always going to go for yeah, a woman. I just okay. can't believe we haven't had a woman. Okay. I just think that's insane. We need a woman. Yeah. First and foremost. I mean, I, yeah. I would love a gay man, sure, but I honestly would love a gay, black, Jewish woman. Uh, that would turn the party. There you go. That would there turn the go. party. I mean, that, there, you would hit all of it at once. There you go. And that would change I'm the in world. Su- I, I support that message, and I'm there for it. Um, so, yes, I like Warren, and I, I do like Pete Buttigieg, actually, a lot, because he's like a Rhodes Scholar, and he speaks all these languages, and he's a unifier, yes. which is what I really like. He can he is a unifier. Well, there's so much like xenophobia. We need that. Yes. We I love that. that. I've talked about this over and over and over again about the way that 
media objectifies women and the sexism in media and the way that we even just the way that we describe women what's the one what's the girl's name that robbed all those guys or that pretended she was a socialite and she's in jail now Anna Delvey. So it's like, even when we're talking about Anna Delvey or, or describing myself back in the pretty wild days, they would say she wore six inch Louboutins and runway walked into court. And or they were really four inch beanies. Bitch. Um, <laughs> you know, they'll say like her long black shining hair and her, you know, Sens- mini skirt and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They like, re- and if it was like a guy that did the same thing, they would never, you know, talk about the way that he looks. And so, um, I obviously know that there is so much violence perpetuated against trans women specifically. Um, so wh- how, what is that like in the, in the drag scene? You know, do you feel like you're objectified in the media? Like even with RuPaul's, you know, drag race, like you see you guys more so in drag and acting sexy and drag than you do like your real stories sure i mean i think for drag queens it's a little different because i think drag queens now thanks to rupaul's drag race are seen in the light of like kind of they can do it all right so like we're supposed to be actors we're supposed to be singers we're supposed to be hosts we're supposed to be comedians and i think what happens generally is that drag queens are supposed to be funny now so i think nine times out of ten no we're not really shown as being like sexy or because that is where people get uncomfortable. Because if we're sexy, then that means what happens when straight men look at us and like us. Well, and so I, they like, I had a trans woman on and she talked about that. Like about right. how, or she's talked about it on her platform. I can't remember if she talked about it on the show or not. About how, what to do, like as a man, if you're attracted to that. And we need to be talking more so about that the fact that that's okay. Right. That that's well, okay. And that's the thing. It's like my character is very sexy. Mm-hmm. I always wear leotards, thong back, out, body down. Like I'm a very sexual performer um, yeah. because I'm not as a boy. That's why I created a character mm-hmm. so that I can have that side of myself come out. So I, I honestly have not felt like I have been hypersexualized, um, which makes sense, right? Because I'm a man pretending to be a woman. So they're not going to mm. hypersexualize me, you see? So that's where it's like this whole double standard too of, you know, people always say like, well, you appropriate women, you know? And I always like to say, no, I appreciate Ooh, women. I've got to get into those questions because someone asked a bunch of stuff like that. Okay. Okay. I agree. <laughs> we got to open these questions. Open the questions. Okay. Fire them at me a little okay. Q&A moment. So, because I posted, I, I was saw. like, you're coming on. We need questions. What did people say? Were they gagging? No, 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 no. no. They, they were very excited. I got a lot of questions. So, I'm only going to pick a couple of you guys. I'm sorry. We don't have all day. We got to do would you rathers. We got to do our affirmation, bitch. We're busy. Okay. <laughs> um, so, someone said they want to clarify, do you still utilize on the double persona a la Bianca Del Rio's call out? What the fuck does that even mean? Say it one more time. Does she still utilize on the double persona a la Bianca Del Rio's call out? Do I still use the double persona? Okay, so what they're saying is in an episode that you won't see unless you watch what's called Untucked, by the way. So you're just watching the episodes and back in the day there was a thing. Well, it's still out. It's called Untucked and they would air it after the episode and that's when the drag queens would go to the Illusions Lounge and we would all fight while the judges were deliberating about who was Mm going to go or stay. And so there was a comment that was made in Untucked where Bianca basically called me out and said that my personality was fake and that I was putting on for the judges. Mm. Um, And as I said back then and as I say now I've always owned my eccentricities 
are they put on? I mean, sure. No one walks around acting fabulous <laughs> all the time. Are you kidding? Like, <laughs> duh, that's put on. But it's coming from who I am in an authentic place. And mm-hmm. that's how I choose to express myself because I feel giddy or over the top. So to answer this person's questions, do I still live with a double persona? I would say in your mind, probably yes, because I still do do the but OCOD why can't we be and the all yes. The things? That's what why I'm can't saying. we be all the things? I've embraced about, my 23 yes. year old self. And yes. of course, I'm 30 years old. Of course, I'm different. But I still have those, you know, moments of reliving that character. I have to. It's a brand now. You yeah. know, I can't not go out there and I not love it. be own that it. character. Own it. Own it. Own it. Yeah. I own it. I just got in a, a DM war with Nancy Joe the other week. And she's like, you're obsessed with me. And I was like, this has nothing to do with you, bitch. This has to do. And I just did an episode about this right before you came on. So everyone has heard this. But like, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with owning my story and taking my power back. Period. I'm still gagging that you like, talked to Nancy Joe. I cannot. Okay. I cannot. As my favorite. I love Brightman Rock. And he goes, period. Uh-huh. Yes. Of course. Love it. Um, okay. So then someone asked, how? How has she worked on the parts of herself that have been called out for appropriation? So I didn't even know that that had happened, but I'm always interested in like sure. diving into that. Sure. So it's happened to me in two areas. The first thing that happened was um, I, I like to wear a lot of uh, African-American hairstyles, mm-hmm. braids, plaits, twists, dreads. Um, and so I was called out for that being that I'm a white person. But wear- don't all drag queens wear big hair? Isn't that like part of it? Well, that's the thing. As I said before, we're, we're already like if you want to call it appropriating women for our job. So to me, Mm -hmm. it's all make-believe. None of it's real. So why does it matter if I wear what hair is supposed to grow out of my white head? I'm not really a woman. So Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Why can't I wear dreads or braids? So to to kind of appease that, I stopped wearing them, to be honest. For for a while, I did. Because I just was like, you know what? This isn't worth it. Even though I had the education, I had done all of the things, like watch documentaries called, you know, uh, I think it's called Good Hair, um, which is all about african-american hair and the lineage and the struggle and you know so i had education on it and it totally makes sense it's like they've been told the whole time since well not the whole time since (laughs) so obviously we brought them here enslaved them quote unquote set them free which we didn't um because of the 13th amendment if you haven't watched that documentary on netflix there you go you gotta wake up guys it's 2019 um so you know we still systematically oppress them and there are still people who like aren't allowed to wear their natural hair to school and to work and stuff like that and that's why when a white person doesn't gets away with it and is you know applauded for it it's not okay and i totally understand it which is why i was like i'm not gonna wear this hairstyle for a while but eventually i felt like no, this is what I like. And this is the aesthetic that I'm most drawn to. And so I did take it back. And I have been wearing, you know, the hairstyles that I like because I am appreciating African-American culture and the hair lineage. So the other place I received appropriation call outs for was in my dancing with my move that I did on the entrance known as the death drop. That's what most people know the move as, but it's actually known as the dip. And I learned this once the Vogue community reached out to me and taught me this, not in a very nice way, I will admit, but once they passed on the education, I've made sure, you know, to, to, to tell people, look, you, I know, you know, it is a death drop, but that's not actually the term. I love that. I, I face, I face those things head on because, because as people, we can't grow if we're not admitting our We faults. have to. And I've addressed, I have like a Native American woman on my arm and I'm not Native. And I've talked about this, like that I was uneducated back then about that. And what am I going to do? Like laser off my whole arm now? No, I'm not going to do that. Um, but I take this opportunity to learn and to grow and then to go on and educate, educate people others. about what is going on. Um, I do 
I never, I don't try to police people in the way that they talk, but my message is always like, if you come from a place of love, it's not your job to educate us. Like you don't have to, it is our responsibility to educate ourselves on history and on the real ways that basically white supremacy is still like alive and well and always has been. I think it's hard because we grew up in a system that where we were educated based on like a whitewashed version version of reality of history. And so we grew up as white people, like very privileged and not knowing about these things. And so we we're waking up and we're doing our best and we will continue to do our best to educate people about this stuff and to grow and to continue to learn. I do think that there's a difference between appreciation and appropriation. And I think that when you give credit where credit is due, that that's really well, you important. you say this is what I'm inspired and obviously, by. like, I'm not a person of color and I would love someone to come on the podcast and to have this dialogue further because um, I'm always willing to learn um, but I also think like when something makes you feel really sexy, uh, you know what I mean? Like as long as you're not doing it in a way that, you know, like you're claiming to be black or claiming it to be my own or Correct. claiming it to be your own, then like, I don't really see the problem with that anymore. Yeah. Okay. So that takes care of that. I love having these like open dialogues with people who are just like open and willing to be receptive. And then someone goes, can you please explain the process of coping with having iconic breakdowns on TV? I think we've pretty much gone through <laughs> that. Like we coped in a very toxic way Correct. and then we moved into coping in more healthy, healthy. ways. Yes. Um, and then someone says, is there anything that you regret about your past? And I think I answered that earlier you too. Did. I don't regret anything. Don't regret anything. I you believe- can't have any regrets you have to learn from life and then lastly i'll keep it at this because we can't answer all of these um was anyone in your family like not expecting this like really shocked or surprised yeah um when i first came out as a drag queen my parents actually basically cut me off financially um they were not pleased at all because they paid for my education which was fifty thousand dollars a year at the california institute of the arts uh, which is where I got my BFA in dance and choreography. So they were, yeah, they were very disappointed. They felt like here they are, they'd got me this great education and now I wanted to put on high heels and prance around like a gay boy. Like, come on. So it took them a while to really come around and be receptive, but I am so blessed that my parents are growing individuals too, even at age 70. And, um, you know, they bought me a pair of high heels for Christmas like three, four years ago. And Aww. the day I was like, I want to quit drag, they were like, you can't. So, Aww. you know, it's it's amazing to see the growth in them. And, and that's why I think I'm a growing individual because they instilled that in that. me. I love that. They're showing you the way yes. of, of how to be... Um, just willing to even explore these different parts of yourself. I love that. Um, okay. So we're moving into would you rather's because I mean, we've got to, right? Okay. So these are going to be a little bad, but this whole episode's been pretty bad. So it's been wild. I know. Hopefully you're not listening with kids in the car. Okay. Would you rather have your dick fall out of your costume on stage? Like, you know what I mean? Uh Or like in a grocery store? In a grocery store, one hundred percent. Because then it will hopefully like be photographed. Like your dick is just out yeah. in a grocery store. And by store? the way, that would never happen. I tape. Yeah. I, I yeah. Tuck. How does that work? I need to know. Can well, I know? To, Can you here we go. Tell me your secrets. If, I need if to know. If the kids this. are in the car now, you really want to take them out. <laughs> um, so basically, my my balls they go up inside of me. Yes. Then I pull the. Wait. Yes. Slow yes. down. <laughs> How? 
I pull the scrotum back so fierce that the balls shoot up inside. Well, I'm not even done. Then I take (laughs) then I take the shaft of the penis and put that in between now the flaccid sac and put that back into my anus and then tape directly on all of that to mash it and keep it in place. I was wondering how you get it so I tape directly. Because you can wear like bikinis and I wear no tights, no nothing. I'm a woman, honey. Oh, oh yeah, you'll have to see it in person. You'll gag. I, and I, I use clear I tape. Gag. I love it. I use I'm clear like tape. The, so I when watch it's like off, the pimple popping videos and stuff. I love it. Well, this Everything is an art form. Okay. It's it, body it is, modification. It is an art form. Yeah. It absolutely is. Yeah. That is so interesting. Because then I go and do no jump idea. splits and all of the, my crazy moves on top of With that. your balls inside of Correct. you. Correct. That is this genius. Like if <laughs> if you don't recognize this as an art form and you're crazy, you're crazy. It absolutely. Yeah, you try what I do for like ten minutes, you'll die. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I want to get Evan for you. I want you to show Evan how to tuck his balls in. Okay, I want to know. Let's do it. I'm <laughs> maybe so he down. can. Maybe he can get you know take care of that part of me. He just has to tuck his balls <laughs> in, tape his dick back, and then we can scissor. There you go. <laughs> There it is. I just saved your marriage. There you go. <laughs> okay. So, um, would you, obviously, you'd have to be dragged for the rest of your life or dragged never again? Oh, that's that a hard. fierce one. Gosh. Okay. I'll say it for the rest of my life. Rest I'm of committed. Life. Oh my God. It's I like a four it. hour process every morning. Two, two, two hours. Yeah. That's a lot. It is. That's a lot. Okay. And then my last question is just like, what is the queeniest of queen things that you've ever done? That's not a, would you rather? No, it's not, but it's just a question that I had. Okay. The queeniest <laughs> thing I've ever done. Yeah. That's so hard. My love. When you live life like a true queen, it's <laughs> like queeny every day. You're like everything is a queen over here. Every moment. I don't moment. know. I, I'm such a queen. Like literally yesterday there was a dead squirrel that we had to clean up and <laughs> yeah. I was pretty queeny when I discovered that. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, Oh my God. That's I'm so funny. My queeny. dog killed a rabbit right out there and Evan was at home and it was in front of the kids and I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Exactly. <laughs> and then my neighbor came out and I like went over to him and I'm like, my dog just killed a rabbit can you please help me clean this up? He's probably looking at me like, are you fucking kidding me? Get a shovel, bitch. Get a shovel and clean up the fucking I got the bread. pooper scooper not, and just picked no, up the No, I'm not that girl. I'm not that girl. I can't do it. I, I had to. I there couldn't. was no there, but my friend. I couldn't. I would have left it. No, I it was by the, I it was like called, outside by where we eat and it was I would smelling. have called animal, animal control. No. I would have called animal control. I would have paid the fine for them to come and clean that shit off. Oh of my God. My, <laughs> I could not. This week's affirmation is... Stay sickening. And, and so, so it is. is. Yes! yes! I love it. Iconic. Yeah, yeah. I can't even. 